Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of A Good Story Starts With. I have Rowan with me today, which is going to be a great chat. Um, But yeah, Rowan, introduce yourself. Well, I guess uh, first things first, I am Rowan. Um, Yes, yes you are. And you are Wilma, so... I am. Looking forward to a good chat. Yeah. But yeah, so Rowan, what do you do? Um, and what do you do for like what do you do for a job and what do you do for fun? What do I do for a job and what do I do for a fun? Well, what I do for a job is I'm a teacher. Um, mm-hmm. I, I love teaching. I, yeah, that's that's just what gets me out of bed in the morning to uh to hang out with young people and to see them grow and become who they're meant to be. Um, yeah, I, I work with work with students who are disengaged and just hating school. Like they don't see the point. They don't want to do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're headed for various trade pathways and apprenticeships. And I just love seeing them get to find that the skills that they have mm-hmm. are important and useful and that that's amazing. It doesn't mean that they're any less for not wanting to go to uni. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, they've spent years being told they're not good enough and it's so good to see them reach that moment where they go, hang on a minute, I am good enough and I am worth it. So that that's really cool. I love doing that. Um, mm-hmm. Some really cool people as well who, who are on that journey and it's just amazing to be a part of a team doing this sort of stuff. So that that's all our school does. You know, we've got yeah. uh, 90-odd kids in year 10, 11 and 12 and – all we do is work with these disadvantaged and disengaged youth. So that's, yeah, so that's what cool. I do for a job. Um, what I do for fun, oh, that really depends on the day. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like most days that's, that's probably just going for a run, going for a walk. I mean, we're in lockdown, so there's not much else we can do. This um, is true. But you know, when we can, I play golf, uh, play mm-hmm. much golf, really, really enjoying that. Um, <laughs> I'm. I wouldn't say I'm a gardener. Yeah, I've got some stuff growing. This is uh, excellent. First step of being a gardener, <laughs> you can grow well, things. <laughs> I think I did the gardening bit a while ago, and it just kind of keeps going. <laughs> oh, this I don't is have good. To do anything with it now? So, but I love watching that happen and, and watching <laughs> the new life come through. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I read. I binge watch TV and play PlayStation. Um, What's your favorite game? I, I look really not up with modern games. I'm, I'm like two systems old playing a PlayStation 3, working with games that were released like 15 years ago, like FIFA 10. That's one of my newest games. I think well I'm done. 22 now. Um, yeah. <laughs> That's so cool. That's so cool. Um yeah, I just want to go back to your job. You were quite passionate about, um, like making, I guess, taking disadvantaged use from one spot to another spot and realizing and helping them realize that they're filled with worth. They're, they're valuable. How, how did you get into teaching? Um, Teaching's been a long, a long journey for me. Um, you know, I started out as a primary school teacher, mm-hmm. um, and 
felt drawn to work with young kids, but mm-hmm. then ended up teaching in a prep to 12 school. And over time, just seemed to naturally move up so that I've taught now everything from grade two to year 12. Wow. Um, and as I've, as I've journeyed, I just kept feeling drawn to older kids. Mm-hmm. Um, I think when it came down to it, primary school kids just have far too much energy for me. Um, <laughs> and I just cannot be bothered with decorating a classroom and celebrating every little piece of artwork. Um, mm-hmm. because, you know, sorry to all the parents out there, but, but every day your kids make something. And honestly, I just can't deal with the repetitive nature of having to celebrate that. Um, fair enough. So yeah, but there's, there's awesome teachers out there that love that and do that so well. And yeah, you know, I'm just getting in the way if I stayed in that area. <laughs> so yeah, I just, I kept going and, you know, I've working with with kids in in the middle years, like around year seven to year nine. Mm-hmm. Um, started to see that disengagement coming through, mm-hmm. and as a specialist teacher at that stage, teaching IT, mm-hmm. I had a lot of kids come through my class who were doing it because they had to. They didn't mm-hmm. get a choice, but they didn't want to. They didn't mm-hmm. want to be there. They didn't want to be developing the skills that I was teaching. Um, you know, the government says they have to do it, so they have to do it. Mm. But realistically, you know, I was working with kids who are going to be farmers at that mm. school. Um, they don't want to do coding. They don't care. So that's where I started to kind of play and, and really try and meet them where they were and give them the skills that they actually needed. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I played the system as much as I could. Mm-hmm. And really just upskill with what they actually needed. And yeah. forget about trying to teach abstract skills where they're not necessary. Um, and that's where I started to really kind of get a feel for the different pathways that young people are taking. Mm-hmm. Uh, that education is, it's this one size fits all kind of deal mm-hmm. at the moment. And I hate that. Um, yeah, there's that classic meme that goes around that, you know, we're assessing all the different animals on their ability to climb a tree and you got the goldfish sitting there going, what? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's, that's really true. Yeah. And, and I hate that about teaching. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I started to disengage myself as a teacher. <laughs> now, I'm like, well, what am I doing here? Yeah. Um, you know, watching these kids and, and I'm trying my hardest to, to meet them where they are and, and to mm-hmm. teach them what I can, but still just feeling that pain for them that they didn't want it. They didn't want to do it. They had their goals mm-hmm. and traditional education doesn't meet those goals for a lot of kids. Wow. So, um, you know, I, I got in strife at one point when I was talking with a year 10 student about like doing some careers counseling mm-hmm. and they had their future mapped out. Like mm. One of the clearest pictures I've ever seen from a student. They they knew exactly what they wanted to do. They knew the course they needed to do to mm-hmm. get there. And it wasn't a uni course. They wanted to go to TAFE. Mm-hmm. And they, to be able to get a head start on that, they could do a vet course and VCAL, mm-hmm. and, which is 
uh, for those who are unfamiliar, it's it's the Victorian Certificate of Applied Learning. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's a hands-on alternative to VCE, vocational education, um, which is fantastic, and that's what I'm teaching now. Mm-hmm. So for this particular student, they were a remarkably intelligent student, yeah? mm-hmm. great marks in all their classes, worked really hard, but they knew where they wanted to go, and VCE yeah. wasn't going to get them there. Mm-hmm. So I encouraged them to do VCAL, to do their vet course and get a head start on what they wanted. Mm-hmm. And I then got in trouble from the school leadership team Wow! for encouraging the student away from VCE. What? And I, I, that was the moment I went, hang on a minute. Are we, are we trying to make the system work for our students or are we making the students fit a system? Yeah. So, so that was at a previous school that I used to work at. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't work there anymore. I now work at a different school that is only teaching VCAL and VET. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's been awesome to, to get into that space now properly and, yeah. and to see, see kids flourish. You know, I, through those experiences, realized that there's this whole group coming through now that we're not meeting their needs. And wow. by the time they get to these crucial years at the end of their high school education, Mm. They're already disengaged. Um, wow. So, you know, school's not for everyone. Mm-hmm. Back in the day, we could leave school at 15, do an apprenticeship. Mm-hmm. Um, students can't do that anymore. You have to be 17 now to leave school uh, completely. So we're locking them into a system that doesn't work. But at least with the VCAL option, Mm-hmm. we can start moving them in the right direction and getting them to where they want to be. So, wow. Yeah. So that's, that's what's led me to this. That's really cool. That's really amazing. If you could, you suddenly become the Minister of Education, Mike, just flip the switch. You are now officially yeah. the Minister of Education. Right. What are the three things that you will try to, And okay, let me rephrase that. You are now the Minister of Education. You won't have the roadblocks that are needed to make legislation passed down and the bureaucracy to get from legislation to schools. What are the three things that you would want to put in place for students? Mm, wow. First of all, I would be a terrible minister for education. I just, I'm interested enough in politics to observe it and to know mm-hmm. what's going on, mm-hmm. but I just can't deal with that. So there's no way known I would ever go into politics myself. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm also not good at thinking outside my own area. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm like, no, this is what I'm doing. This is what I'm thinking about. Mm-hmm. So, all right, let, let's, let's see what I can do with this. Okay. Mm-hmm. Three things. Uh, I would lock in vocational pathways that mm-hmm. reduce stigma. Now, mm-hmm. there's a whole lot going on in that space already. Mm-hmm. Um, there's some good stuff coming, but it's really not well thought through. And I don't think it's going to answer the questions that they've asked. Um, Interesting. It's going to, without going into more detail, um, the changes that are coming in the next few years will improve things for a small group of students, but they're going to make it worse for a whole heap of other students. Uh. And the people making the decisions, again, have no idea what they're doing. Um, <laughs> so, you know, what I would do, is mm-hmm. to lock in the vocational pathways mm-hmm. without trying to manipulate students to to still fit a mold. 
which is mm-hmm. what is currently happening. Um, what do you mean by that? Like, what do you mean that they're being manipulated to fit into a mold? So we offer VCAL, right? Mm-hmm. But within VCAL, we're still forcing students to do traditional education. Um, they still have to do literacy and numeracy. Mm-hmm. And there are elements of that that are really useful in a trade mm-hmm. pathway, but mm-hmm. there's still stuff that is just completely abstract. And okay. teachers are locked in to meet these curriculum requirements. And mm-hmm. if we don't tick off every outcome, students don't get their certificate. Mm-hmm. So in VCE, students do an assessment task, and if they do it really well, they get a really good grade. If they do it okay, they get an okay grade. Mm-hmm. Whereas with VCAL, there is no gray area. It's black or white. They either do it or they don't, and mm-hmm. you have to do every single outcome to pass. Wow. So it's actually harder to pass VCAL, VCAL yeah. than to pass VCE. Yeah. You can, you can pass VCE as a successful high school graduate with a score so low they won't publish it. <laughs> and if you do absolutely nothing, you will still actually technically be a high school graduate. Mm. Whereas in VCAL, if you don't tick off every single outcome, then bad luck too, sad, see you later. Wow. So it's, it's like incentivizing you to not do VCAL and do VCE. Exactly right. We offer this thing and yay, look at us, we're so inclusive, but actually we're going to make it really hard because we don't want anyone to do it. Wow. That's so. Rich. It is very rude. So the first thing I would do would be to change that system and mm. to make the vocational pathway a legitimate pathway mm-hmm. that celebrates student achievement rather than punishing these kids for not fitting the mold. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd also bring these vocational pathways down younger. At the moment, it only sits in year 11 and 12. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of schools are doing some really good work in the junior years of high school, like year seven, year eight, some year nine. Yeah. But then there's this gap in the middle. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I know of schools that offer a program at year seven and year eight and then VCAL at year 11. And in year nine and 10, there's nothing. Interesting. So they, they offer this program that's kind of vocational style to mm. help these kids who are disengaged already. And then they hit year nine and I've got two years to go through traditional education with no difference at all mm-hmm. before they then can continue on. Mm-hmm. Um, so there needs to be more done at an earlier age to show students that these aren't just an alternative pathway for kids that can't do it, but mm-hmm. it's a legitimate option for anyone to do because let's face it, we need people in vocational trades, you know, whether it's trades people or people building things, making things. Yeah. Like I've got students who are doing things that I couldn't even imagine. Yeah. Um, yeah. Talking to some of the kids that I teach at the moment, they're in year 11. They're already running their own business, making more money than I am, and I'm their teacher. Wow. And legitimately, it's stuff that we're not even teaching them at school. They've just gone and figured it out for themselves because they wanted to. That's amazing. And managed to create these businesses like how, how are we not celebrating that that should be a high school class in itself i mean if you can do that is there anything yeah. that i can actually teach you that's um, amazing yeah yeah so that that'd be the second thing and i guess the third thing would just be to lock it in mm-hmm. if that makes sense like 
we make changes so quickly in education. They don't actually give it time to work before they start doing something new. Um, And that comes down to the fact that the people making the decisions are very rarely teachers. (laughs) Oh, that's another rabbit hole. uh, (laughs) It it is. Mm -hmm. But, you know, let's get rid of the bureaucracy. Yeah. And stop getting people who are not teachers to make the decisions for teachers. Yeah. So that, like, teachers know that, you know, it takes 13 years to get through school in in Victoria, right? Mm -hmm. But we change the education system significantly every five or six years. Whoa. Now, that's not enough time to actually figure out if it's working or not. So we've got to just let it go Mm -hmm. and stop messing with it. I didn't know that because I obviously didn't do my schooling in Victoria. I did it in New Zealand. But it's quite interesting to hear about VCAL because what you mentioned before about the stereotypes of VCAL, like it is as somebody, as I said before, who hasn't like done education in Victoria, like I've heard about those stereotypes. Like I used, I, when I went, when the gyms were open, um, I used to do CrossFit and there was this guy who was my CrossFit partner and we were talking about like what our jobs were. And I was like, Hey, I'm a scientist. And he was like, Whoa, like your VC must have been amazing. Like, you know, I'm just, I'm just a dumb tradie. And I was like, Whoa, 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 oh, <laughs> like calm down. First of all, like you're not dumb. Um, like to be able to be creative enough to visually visualize what you want to build yeah. and then make that thing that you're thinking about be exactly what comes out. That is an incredible amount of intelligence. Like yeah. I can't do that at, at all. So yeah. So have, have you found it difficult to destigmatize that like stereotype within your work or? Look, I, I get to work with a very small group of students, um, mm-hmm. and they come from a very diverse range of backgrounds. You know, we've got some kids who are coming from Christian schools, some who are coming from public schools, some from reasonably elite private schools. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're working with all sorts, but they do come in by and large feeling like they're too dumb for school. Mm-hmm. And, you know, whether it's just comparing themselves to the others around them at school and seeing that they don't get the same grades as everyone else or actually being told by their peers and by teachers or some even their families wow. that they're stupid, that they're not good enough. Mm. They they really do have this built-up internal voice saying you're not good enough. Mm. Um, so, you know, I'm still, I'm still quite new in this area of education. Um, mm. I don't know that there's necessarily been a shift in in overall opinion about what vcal is um Mm. but i am seeing that the students that i've worked with this year particularly Mm -hmm. um you know they are towards the end of the year now they're looking at moving on to an apprenticeship next year or whatever that might be Mm -hmm. Uh, some will stay and do year 12 Mm -hmm. but they they are now seeing that what they have to offer is really good really worthwhile um you know i love to tell them actually and it's a great way to engage them. Before I became a teacher, I tried to be a carpenter and I mm. couldn't hack it. So, yeah. you know, I'm like, no, nah, you guys are better than me because you've stuck this out longer than I have mm-hmm. and I wish I could do what you do. So, you know, 
as part of my job, we get to go out on building sites and we get to do community service projects and that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. So when we're in the classroom, I'm teaching them the, you know, the skills that they need and trying really hard to adapt the curriculum as much as possible to make it relevant for them mm-hmm. so that I can teach them the required literacy skills mm-hmm. and tick that box. But then when we're out on the building site, I can go, Hey, teach me how to do something. Mm-hmm. And they get to become the teacher. And yeah. it's awesome because that's just a chance for them to use the gifts that God's given them mm-hmm. and see that it's worthwhile. That's um, cool. So I love that moment. Yeah, that is really wonderful. And like, what's the like demographic split of your classroom? Is it like 50 50 female to male? Is it like 60 40? Like, what is it? Uh, no, nowhere near. Um, like at the moment in, in year 12, we've got two girls out of mm. 14 students. Oh, um, wow. in year 11, split across four classes, we've got four girls out of 45 students. Wow. So, so it, yeah. So it would be like accurate then to say that a large majority of the students who feel disadvantaged or um, disenchanted by a traditional school tend to are males. Um, yeah, wow. Yeah. That's quite, yeah. Because I'm interested, like, in this area of, like, education and how we do education and um, in terms of do male and females learn differently Do and how how best can we cater to those differences if those differences exist? And I'm of the school of thought that there are differences that exist between how males and females learn. And we've done a really, really good job at catering to the female side of the equation. Um, but to the male side of the equation, I feel like we haven't done that because it kind of gets lost in not intentionally, maybe intentionally, but I, I, Try not to think of that of people, but it tends to get lost. And how have you found that democratic? Do you agree with that statement? Do you disagree? Or um, I, look, there there is some weight to it. Mm. I think that to look at male versus female in this way is probably a bit too simplistic. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if within that, there's still such an amazing um, breadth to to abilities and, and learning styles. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the demographic that I'm working with is more linked to stigma. Um, okay. You know, we're, we're a trade school. Mm-hmm. Um, so as a, as a tech school, we're a trade education center. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a stigma to that, that that's a, a male environment. Oh. Um, so while we do offer a number of pathways within our own abilities and within our own training organization um we can also work with external training providers so um internally we have our vet courses running which is vocational education and training so we offer mm-hmm. electrotechnology building and construction furniture making horticulture mm-hmm. and kitchen operations mm-hmm. um within that we have female students engaged in all of those areas mm-hmm. but it is still there's this stigma in the community that these trades are very much a male enterprise. Interesting. Um, so mm. I think it's it's not so much about learning styles. I think there's actually a lot of girls out there who are missing out on engaging with with what would work best for them. 
mm-hmm. because they're hearing from their friends, from their teachers, from their families, just from the community in general, mm-hmm. that that's not for girls. And I think that that is starting to break down. Mm-hmm. Uh, like like a lot of things in our community, we're seeing mm-hmm. women engage in different areas now, which is great. So things like sport, um, we're getting more airtime now for women's sport, which is great. Now, AFLW is awesome. I think there's a long way to go to get mm-hmm. that on the same level as the mm-hmm. men's competition, yeah. and I look forward to that happening. And for all their talk, I think the AFL needs to just actually make it happen because it's up to them, right? Yeah. I feel very strongly about this. They keep talking about it as if the whole community should just go, yep, this is equal. But until they're actually going to pay the athletes to do it full-time like the men do it and put it on the same schedule, mm. then it's it's going to stay the way that it is. Time. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you know, a couple of years ago, I remember they had the grand final for the AFLW and they moved it away from that stadium that it was planned for so that the men could play a practice match. And the wow. practice match was put on TV instead of the women's grand final. Ooh. <laughs> so, yeah. we got a long way to go. Yeah, we do. Yeah, 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 we baby do. Baby steps, but it's about time that. Just, that just jump in. Up, right? Just, just go in, fall in. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, just wow. we keep talking, people keep talking, saying all the right things, but actions need to start matching up. Yeah, you know, exactly. I, I look at um, like Metro Trains, for instance. You know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. a bit of a tangent, but go with me. Um, okay. A few years ago, Metro Trains, which is the, the one of the main public transport companies in Melbourne, right? We had, well, they, I'm, I'm no, in no way affiliated with them. Have never been a train driver, but they went on a massive recruitment campaign for women only. And yeah. they took on hundreds of women to train them up as train drivers. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was a very specific campaign to get women into their workforce because it was very male-dominated. Mm-hmm. And they wanted to break down that barrier and break down the stereotypes. Mm-hmm. And when they launched the campaign, they actually had to get government approval to discriminate against men, right? Now, yeah, like- kind of see, see where that came from. I'm glad that it didn't go too hard. Like, they got the approval relatively easily. Yeah. Um, but people were like, well, what's the point? If women wanted to do the job, they'd do it. So why do you need to advertise specifically? Um, it actually went so well yeah. that other industries have followed suit. That's so, so cool. Uh, one of the biggest bus companies in, in Melbourne has done the same thing now because mm-hmm. it worked so well. So... We're getting more and more women into these areas to work mm. because people have actually gone, hang on a minute, women can do this, right? Like, there's no Correct. reason you can't. Mm-hmm. We just need to make sure that, that everyone knows that women can do this. Yeah, equal because opportunity. It, yeah. So if you look at it and see an industry that's got 99% men, mm-hmm. that 1% of women, they're a special breed, and I mean that in a really good way. Uh, mm-hmm. They're going to be the strongest people out there because they can hack it and they're just going, I don't give a crap who else is here i'm coming mm-hmm. to do this mm-hmm. now i'm not that type of person mm-hmm. like obviously i'm not a woman but <laughs> i don't have it in me to go i genuinely don't care what anyone else thinks i'm doing what i want to do mm-hmm. um, which does sound a bit funny because hey i'm a male teacher <laughs> yeah that is another like female dominated industry yeah it is right yet the schools that i've worked at mm-hmm. are actually not female dominated I-, I would say that where i've worked has been pretty close to half-half. Which is great. 
It's like, awesome, and yeah. it's been great to be a part of that. But I'm well aware that that's not representative of the education the industry yeah. completely. Um, I think we just need to do more across the community mm-hmm. to make these things okay for everyone. People people complain that it's sexist to specifically advertise for women to do something when mm-hmm. everyone knows they can do it right. Mm-hmm. But the simple fact is there are still barriers that need to be broken. Mm-hmm. And it goes the same way. Like, you know, um, think about education, uh, nursing, any, there's, there's a whole heap of areas that are female dominated. Mm-hmm. And there have been campaigns to try and get more men. Mm-hmm. Now, I came through university to be a teacher mm-hmm. at a time when they were putting a lot of emphasis on getting men into teaching. Mm-hmm. Now, that had no bearing on me doing it, mm-hmm. but I've got friends who are teachers now because of those campaigns. That's awesome. Um, The government doing something right. This is excellent. This is the type of news we need to hear. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So, yeah, that's that's a bit of a a personal bent of mine, I guess. But, um, yeah, yeah, learning styles come into that, but we need to just make it open to everyone because – like across across my school, we've got we've got a team of staff who work together, and we target our teaching. Like you know, we we think very carefully about which teachers are working with which students, mm-hmm. so that our different teaching styles are matched up to what the kids need. You know, I work very closely with one particular teacher who we we team up with our two classes, and he and I are very very different in how we teach, mm-hmm. and together we pick up the needs of our students. That's awesome. And there's there's ways that he connects with the students that I just can't. Mm-hmm. And there's ways, ways that I connect and things that I can do with them that he can't do. So we bounce off each other really well. And we actually do that often in the same room together, working yeah. side by side, which is awesome. That's so cool. Like what's an example of like the way that you connect with students and the way he connects with students and how that's complementary? So he's a, a tradie by... You know, that that's what he did for years. He's a builder. He's run mm-hmm. his own business in that area. He's then gone on to teach in Tate, who was actually teaching building apprentices. Mm-hmm. Um, and now he's taken the step down into the high school years mm-hmm. to teach the pre-apprenticeship course, yeah. which has then he's kind of moved that across a bit further and, and started teaching the high school part of it, which is VCAL. Mm-hmm. Uh, so as a, an ex-tradie, he's got the technical knowledge. He can connect with students on that level. He works with them side by side and can teach them the physical skills that they need. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he's just got that real kind of natural rapport in, in and I would call it positive masculinity, mm-hmm. right? Um, he's, he's, he is the blokey bloke, mm-hmm. but he's the kind of guy that everyone wants to be around. That's so cool. Um, and, while he's extreme in his masculinity, um, he just creates this atmosphere where our students can be themselves and connect. And it, you know, I sit back and watch and, you know, I used to play netball as a high school student myself. Mm-hmm. I wasn't playing football, but what I see with this other teacher makes me think that that's what a footy club must be like. Yeah. Just take out the toxic parts. Yeah. <laughs> Um, True. but then for me, I, I'm a, I'm from a traditional education background. So mm-hmm. I'm more about teaching the, the skills on the other end of the spectrum, the literacy skills and numeracy skills. You know, mm-hmm. what do we actually need to do to feed into those trade skills 
so that yeah. you can take the ability to build a house and create a business. Mm. Um, Good. That, that's where I come from. But I'm also uh, a more pastoral person. So mm-hmm. while he can connect with a group of students incredibly well and have them as a class eating out mm-hmm. of his hand and engaged, I can connect with them one-on-one and draw out their individual personalities and really work with them on that level um, to to then be able to understand where they're at personally mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. then pick up on when things aren't going well and really nail down those individual goals. That's really so, awesome. Yeah, and yeah. quite beautiful, like the synergy that's between the two of you. When did you realize that you had that um pastoral leaning of being able to connect deeply one-on-one with people? Um, I don't know when I realized that it was a, a pastoral thing, but mm-hmm. I've, I've always been an introvert. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, you know, people talk about being an extroverted introvert, mm-hmm. whereas I would say I'm an introvert who can force myself out of that when I need to. Mm-hmm. So I wouldn't ever call myself an extrovert. Mm-hmm. But when I was at uni to become a teacher, I kind of had this moment where I went, hang on a minute, I'm going to spend the rest of my life in front of a room of people talking. Mm-hmm. i got to make myself do that. Yeah. So I can just take myself out of my comfort zone when I need to and, and make that happen. But I've always been more comfortable one-on-one talking mm-hmm. and getting to know people. And I've always loved story. Uh, mm-hmm. So wanting to know about someone's story because if I know what their story's been to now, mm-hmm. I can help them to find the rest of the story. That's and right. I guess that's evolved over time into seeing that as a pastoral gift mm-hmm. um, and to to help where I can with that. You know, I, I love working with this other teacher who, as I said, I would call him a, a really good example of positive masculinity mm-hmm. um, because one of, one of the things that I really care deeply about Mm-hmm. is trying to see the end of toxic masculinity. All right. Um, so working in a trade school, mm-hmm. that's, that's something that we're I working mean, with yeah. regularly. Um, You're in the grassroots of that, really, of like how do you shape these men to embody the beauty of masculinity without the extra weird stuff? <laughs> exactly right. So, you know, it's, it's the, the, the comments that happen day to day just trying to get them to see that that's not okay. Um, mm-hmm. Now, I'm not saying that I've got the answers to this yet. It's just something that I see and I mm-hmm. want to find a way through it. Uh, so I'm starting to starting that process now of figuring out what's next in that way. Yeah. Um, Would you mind yeah. sharing what that process looks like? As I said, it's a start now. Um, yeah. So we've got a, a chaplain at school as well who also cares about this. Uh, mm-hmm. So he and I have started to talk about it, and, and we've really got to try and figure out what the the causes mm-hmm. of where the students are at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and until we've got that, we can't treat it. Mm-hmm. So yeah, they they come into our school already carrying this, and mm-hmm. it's been fascinating to watch that, regardless of the schools they've come from. Mm-hmm. It's it's an almost universal attitude. Wow. Um, that they're, you know, all our students are headed for a trade of some sort mm-hmm. and they all think that that's part of being a tradie and that's somehow already become part of their culture. Wow. So how 
we're yeah. I mean, how do we how do we how do we compete with that when mm. we're talking about fifteen, sixteen, seventeen year old young men who already think that that's just how it is? Yeah, I guess the question I want to ask is: do you, do you have any positive like? role models that have role modeled positive masculinity to you and how and tagging on to that how did you not fall into that mindset as well of like yeah being masculine involves degrading comments or certain attitudes that uh, are just demeaning to the people around you like how how did you work through your own positive masculinity? So for me, it was actually a, a real process of finding role models. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I had a real lack of that as a child uh, from my own family background. So mm-hmm. I had to go looking for role models where I could mm-hmm. um, and, and was fortunate to have some friends whose family included these great men of character mm-hmm. um you know uh one of one of my best friends was one of three sisters and mm-hmm. their dad was such a strong man yeah you know, he was a mechanic ran his own business mm-hmm. he was he was a typical blokey guy and mm-hmm. through that he had this amazing servant heart Mm-hmm. And he would do anything for his family. Mm-hmm. And the way he spoke about his family and to his family was just love. Mm-hmm. There, there was never anything but love. Wow. Um, and, and I was really fortunate to be able to spend a lot of time with them throughout my adolescence and mm-hmm. to see that example come through um, at a time when I was really forming my own identity as a mm-hmm. as a young man. I didn't have my own dad around. I uh, lost my grandfather's pretty early mm-hmm. in life. So those role models weren't there for me to see mm-hmm. and, and certainly not positively, mm-hmm. uh, unfortunately. So, yeah, I went and found others and mm-hmm. was was amazing. So, yeah, there was another couple of friends that I had whose dads were really strong Christian men who, sh- who modelled positive masculinity you know they could mm-hmm. do all the all the all the guy things the blokey things they could build stuff they could fix stuff mm-hmm. but whatever they did there was always this softness of character with them yeah that they they took me in mm-hmm. when i wasn't even one of their own kids um, wow yeah, i had this this amazing time as a teenager where I like honestly, I spent more time with other people's families than my own. Um, wow. you know, I'm the youngest of three brothers. My brothers are older than me and had moved out of home and mm-hmm. um, single mum working hard. And, and I look back and yeah, mum did an amazing job. I don't know how she managed, mm-hmm. but as a as a high school kid, I could go days and at times a couple of weeks without seeing mum because wow. she was out the door so early in the morning to go to work and by the time I bothered to come home she'd already been in bed okay. so um yeah but she just kept doing what she was doing and she provided for us which was amazing mm-hmm. but in the midst of that I had I had a, a house and a bed at all times mm-hmm. but I was always at someone else's house <laughs> just just insert myself into other into other people's families and hey um, that's how you grow great like best of both worlds hey 
Yeah. Um, but yeah, so really, I guess there was a sense of justice that I had that mm-hmm. I knew what was wrong with, with males from what I'd seen mm-hmm. personally in my own family. Mm-hmm. Um, so I went looking for what felt right. Yeah. And when I found that, I held on to it. That's wonderful. And what is it that is, like, how do you define positive masculinity in your own words? Well, it's, it's like you were saying, yeah, it's those negative comments that, that we hear all the time, putting people mm. down, degrading others, um, whether it's like, whatever the basis, whether it's gender, sexuality, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. I just hate when we put people down by referring to them as another group of people. Mm-hmm. Uh, like there's no, there's no need for that. You know? Yeah. With, with my own personal, like my close group of friends, sure, mm-hmm. we have a bit of fun with each other and we do make jokes about each other, mm-hmm. but we don't do that by degrading other people. Yeah. And, and it's always done within the firmness of that relationship. And that's what exactly. I see missing for a lot of young people mm-hmm. is they don't understand that they've got to have the relationship first before it's actually a joke. Um, yeah. When it's someone you don't know and you don't have that relationship with, it's just harassment. Yeah. Really. Yeah. Um, so for me, I, you know, I'm, I'm not a blokey bloke. I don't build things. I don't do a lot of manual labor, mm-hmm. but I would see myself as masculine. Um, mm-hmm. and for me, that's about, um, you know, I'm, I'm a, a man of God. Mm-hmm. I'm a husband and mm-hmm. I would lay down my life for my wife. Mm-hmm. And that's without question. I would do whatever I need to do whenever she comes first. Yeah. So, you know, the way I talk to my wife, the way I talk to my friends is about building people up. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's masculinity. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's not being soft or, or anything like that. That's being strong in who I am to know that that's right. Yeah. I don't, I don't judge myself based on these weird ideals that have been embedded in culture. Mm-hmm. Based my judgment on the gospel. Mm-hmm. So yeah, put people first at all times, and really, if you're doing that, the rest just comes. That is stunning. That is so beautiful to hear. Like I absolutely love talking about uh, masculinity because I I find it to be very beautiful, which is not something that people describe masculinity as um i really like that actually um, yeah like they I, think I, might have that. I, I want to be beautifully masculine yeah like because i think that when masculinity in its fullness in its maturity it is about exactly what you said about self-sacrificialness and building uh, a world or building a structure that other people will flourish. And I just find that, find that strength, find that grit and find that laser eyed focusness that typically is found within like masculine people to be absolutely stunning and worth celebrating. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that's this topic. It's like, it's one of my favorites. And yeah, so yeah, I, thank you. Thank you so much for talking about it. It's, really beautiful to hear yeah that's all right no no that wasn't that wasn't saying like this is the end of the conversation um that was just (laughs) 
<laughs> that was me being like, hey, like that was this- like your really awesome podcast wrap up. It was like awesome, cool. <laughs> yeah. No. Um no, we still we still have one more question. Um awesome. in terms of like you get to ask me the question. And then we can wrap it up. I was thinking about this earlier actually. I've got a two part question and Okay, go. I, I I say that as a thinly veiled attempt to just ask two questions, right? Um okay. That's all right. So we started today chatting about who I am and what mm. I do, right? Mm-hmm. Now that's that's one of my favorite things about Western culture, right? Is <laughs> when you meet someone new, you go, Oh, who are you? And what do you do? Yeah. And and we just every time, like, and I do, I do this as well. And every time I do it, I, I'm like, ah, oh, I can't believe I asked that again. Mm-hmm. But and like, this is, I'm totally going to butcher this uh, because it's not an original idea at all. But um, and you may know more about this coming from New Zealand. Uh, mm-hmm. But in, in Maori culture, they go straight to who are you and whose are you, Ooh. and that's what the key is in their culture is. Belonging. Your people. Where do you belong? Mm-hmm. Um, so, so that's my question to you: is who are mm-hmm. you, and whose are you? And then my second question, which you know I'm going to pretend is somehow linked to that, is what drives you? Oh, okay, all right. Um, so I am Wilma, and I belong. Oh man, who do I belong to? This is going to turn into a story. Um, so Excellent. They, well, yeah. isn't that you know we're talking about a good story starts with? So. I know. <laughs> um, so Melbourne is the longest time is the city I've lived in for the longest in the past six years. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've lived in Melbourne for three years now, and I, as like an immigrant twice over, I have lived in Zimbabwe and then moved to New Zealand, and I've lived in Melbourne, I have never been felt like I belong to a place. Um, I have felt that I belong more to people. I've made my home more in the hearts of people or have tried to make my home in the hearts of people so that uh, I learn to carry whose I am wherever I go. So I am, my name is Wilma and I'm the one I'm the person who belongs to people, and the first person I belong to is Jesus, and then my family, and um, yeah, and then my friends, and yeah. So that's that's kind of that, and that process of belonging, because I think like people. This is a massive tangent, but I'm going to come back. I think that people have five main wound, have five main needs of like, they have a need for progress. They have a need for safety. They have a need for innocence. They have a need for belonging. And I can't remember what the fifth need is, but I, when I remember it, I'll say it. But for me, one of the five needs of those five needs, the one that has had the most hurt is belonging. Um, so it's really interesting that you've brought that up. So the process of me learning to belong to God has been a journey that I'm still working through because there are moments when I'm like in a room full of people, I'm like, I don't belong here. They don't really want you. They don't want to be around you. And I have to tell myself like, hey, I belong because mm. of who has named me. And um, doesn't the devil love to get in there? Yeah, it's, oh. it just kind of like sits yeah. in there. Um, and so even with this podcast, even with anything new that I create, it's like 
you're disqualified from this. You don't belong here. You have no right to talk about this. Um, but I, there's still that still small voice in me that says, I'm going to do it anyway. And if <laughs> that's awesome, like if people don't want to listen, that's okay. I, I will listen to me. Jesus will listen to me. And that's more than enough people. Um, that's more than enough people. And what drives me? I know this is going to sound super corny and like hyper feminine, but love is what drives me. <laughs> Excellent. I, I am always asking the question to myself of like, how can I receive more love so that I can give up more love? How can I be a place that people can come in and be like, I left feeling more encouraged than I was before. And so like, that's, that's kind of like how I always think. I'm like, how, oh, how can, how can I make this person's day better? Um, and yeah, so that's, that's kind of what drives me. Well, I would say that you've got that nailed. Thank um, you. I, I don't know if you remember the first time we met and I'm, well, I'm really hoping that it's the first time we met because if we met before then, then I'm sorry. Is this the cafe um, story? The cafe. Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. We're in the same playing field. Excellent. Cool. Um, I've said that to someone before and they go, oh, no, we met before then. I'm like, ooh, that's awkward. That's um, So glad we got the same time. Mm-hmm. But I remember walking away from that first conversation with you just going, man, we're almost awesome. Like you oh. just have this amazing energy and I left filled with joy. That's awesome. So well done and thank you for that. Thank you. And with that, we're just gonna, we're just gonna end it on that. So thank you so much. Thank you. <laughs>